Hashtag never alone with Joe and Mark. Hi everyone and welcome to Hashtag Never Alone Season 2, Episode 18. I am your lived experience host, Joe Ambridge. And I'm Mark Fielding, relationship uh, and relationship counsellor and psychotherapist and Joe's co-host. Um, welcome back for another episode. We were due to do an episode last week, but unfortunately we had to reschedule as <laughs> we had a bit of communication issue. But we're back with a new episode this week as we're near the end of season two. Um, and today's topic will be eating disorders. We will be joined shortly by our guest, Alan Hayes. Um, anyway, yeah, just Mark, what do you know about uh, eating disorders? Yeah, I mean, well, it's, it's, such, a, it's such an enormous topic but I mean eating disorders can look you know very different you know there's things like bulimia um, anorexia um, there, there's also kind of overeating as a coping strategy so yeah it's, it's not an area that I specialize in but you know it is I mean it is fairly widespread you know and lots and lots of reasons for that which I'm sure we'll talk about but yeah I mean eating disorders I think have been with us for a long time and continue to be so yeah, awesome. So, uh, luckily enough, we actually have a, as I mentioned before, we have a guest who, can, <laughs> who does specialise and does know about eating disorders. So, I'd like to introduce uh, Alan Hayes. Thanks for joining us, Alan. Yeah, hi, guys. Um, yeah, thanks for inviting me along today. It's really good to be involved in the podcast. I uh, listened to the last one that you did around, uh, you know, just support as well. So, yeah, really, really good to be here today. So just a bit about me, actually. Um, so I basically retrained as a psychotherapist about 12 years ago after working in business, so working in logistics, but also working in the fashion industry as well. So obviously looking at not being aware of what they were eating disorders, but when I was working in, in the fashion sector, lots of pressure on people to look perfect and, you know, lots of issues around body dysmorphia. So huge pressures on people. And... Uh, so I, I retrained originally to be a psychotherapist. Then I, I um, set up an organisation called Therapy Partners, which was uh, founded in 2015. Uh, we're now currently around 34 therapists working across the sector, psychologists and psychiatrists. Um, and in terms of eating disorders, we um, did a pilot with the NHS back in 2015 because there was a huge pressure in terms of services and trying to get people into support. And there's currently still long waiting lists. So. Um, we got together and we, uh, one of our lead therapists was involved in training with a guy called Chris Furburn. He's written a lot of books and, and information research around eating disorders and using a model of therapy called CBTE. So we piloted that back in um, 2016 to 18. And that was offering target support for individuals, peer support groups, some awareness training, psychoeducation support for like local organisations. We did a video as well with people with lived experiences talking about the condition and the helpful strategies, some partnership working, um, and we call that the PETS summary. So it's a PETS, Psychological Education and Therapeutic Support. So we run that really effectively working around 40 or 50 people. What we also wanted to do was involve families as well, like a systemic approach. So obviously support for mums, dads, brothers, sisters, and generally the individual. Normally eating disorders, there's normally some sort of a trigger, there's been some sort of trauma or some difficulties. Um, and it tends to happen in, in we, we work with a lot of grammar schools and there's really high perfection drivers as well. And sometimes if you're really struggling, it's a way of actually trying to take back control. It's a really extreme way of taking back control, but it's what happens. So it becomes really entrenched and it's sometimes difficult when working with people when they present, you know, to get them to engage, they need to be ready and motivated to change. So with the CBTE programme, we offer 
around between 20 and 40 sessions of support, which is initially twice weekly. And we work with a whole range of conditions like anorexia, bulimia. And uh, the thing about food is people use it as a way to medicate. It could be like, we obviously people use drugs and alcohol. It's, it's, a, it's a way of using food, you know, or restricting food to gain control. So it's quite tricky in, in terms of mental health condition. It's one of the most serious mental health conditions because people die from physical conditions, you know. So, you know, you lose weight, you know, you, 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 you know you're prone to heart attacks, arrhythmia, you, you're prone bone density issues. So it's quite complex, quite a difficult case to treat. Um, but with our programme, we've been running that for four years with the pilot. And then we, as a result of that, we set up our charity called Rewrite Your Story. Um, and some of the people that went through the programme we've worked with are now, we're now funding to train as therapists. So they've got lived experience and they're obviously, you know, that helps in terms of offering peer support, but also being a really good therapist in actually having the condition and being able to relate with people as well. So that's been really effective. And we've got around six therapists now that have trained um, since we started the project. And we're now working with the NHS in different regions. So we're based in Kent, but we're also open up a clinic in Dorset as well. So quite effective and one of the things that's been helpful I think is um, a bit like Mark actually because we train together um, so I did my systemic therapy training and family and couples training and using systemic family therapy methods was really helpful in supporting the, the environment for the young person so the family and offering support and trying to make sense for mum, mums and dads brothers and sisters as well so that's a bit about the, about the project um, there's a whole load of information on our website around eating disorders. So if you look at therapypartners.co.uk or rewriteyourstory.org.uk, there's videos on there, there's information, there's fact sheets. There's a quite a lot of information that you can access to, you know. And also, if you need to contact us, we, you know, we've got a phone number, we've got a, a newsletter, so you can engage. We're on social media. So if anyone's struggling with anything, um, and we work across the piece as well. We're based in the UK, but we've got clients that are based in the Middle East. We've got clients in America. And we've got a couple of clients in Australia as well. So we're, we're pretty yeah. global in offering support. And with the charity, you know, we're happy to give some free advice out for people. And if we can signpost, you know, generally we will do as well. Yeah, we'll uh, share the links with our viewers as well. Hopefully it can help, even if it just helps one person. As we always say, <laughs> one's better than no one. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I wanted to ask you just a bit. I mean, there's so much in what in what you just said, and I know you have. You know, I mean, we 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 train together. I know you have wide experience across so many different areas. We're talking about eating disorders today, but I know you you work in lots of lots of different areas. But I was really interested in the family element. I mean, mm -hmm. could you tell us a bit more about that, Alan, around around eating disorders and, and the family and working systemically with the family? Because that's yeah. quite interesting. What we wanted to do was that um, these disorders are, are quite solitary. You know, it's a, it's a condition which is really difficult for parents to understand. Now, why won't my son or daughter actually eat? You know, is it my fault? So what we did, we had um, some of the families who have gone through the, the process and it was effective and we had some really good outcomes. Um, we talked to them and what we wanted to do was we set up what we call like buddy, a buddy system. So we did some initial training um, and we got the families together. So we, we, we got one family that was further down the stage in terms of the young person's eating disorders to talk to the people at the beginning. So they could empathise, they could talk about strategies that were helpful. One of the really simple things was in terms of uh, one of the families we worked with, 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 with bulimia, so binge and purge. Um, so their daughter was obviously, you know, she, the, the lady was going to buy the shopping and then the daughter would basically eat it and then purge it. So one of the things that the, one of the other families were, were aware of was uh, 
they went out to Iceland and bought frozen food. So it's not as instant for people to actually access that. So really useful strategies and ideas and systems just for other people. But also, apart from the groups that we run outside the groups, they, 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 we formed a network on WhatsApp so they could support each other. So they had a difficult day. They could talk, reach out to another family member. So it's really something which is like 24-7. You know, you're okay with the therapy. It's focused and it's boundaried and it's on, 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 a, on a group basis. But that was like an informal network that could help people to help support each other. And they were sharing information, resources and useful information that they could help support their, their, their young person as well. Yeah. And um, what are some of the common causes or um, roots of the problem that causes uh, eating disorders? Normally, it's there's been some sort of a trauma. There's, there's probably been relationship breakdown and the people were younger. A lot of it's around social media is not being helpful. Um, we're working at the moment with uh, this lady called Professor Philippa Dietrich at the University of Southwest. And they've got some funding by Dove, which is the people who do a lot of soaps and products. Um, around body confidence so normally you'll feel you know you'll feel and you know not happy about a certain part of your body you know and then obviously social media everyone will be on posting really edited images so some of the images that you see on social media in terms of your uh, your you know presentation of what you look like are unreal because this edited so much and one of the things that we did we did some school assemblies and workshops and we show a video whereby it shows you a model actually being completely changed, like her legs are stretched, her arms, her face is changed. And it's unreal. And people are trying to get perfection. They're judging themselves by other people online. And that really entrenches it. And you, and you get, you know, it really doesn't help in terms of uh, your well-being, just looking at being on, involved in things like Instagram posts and lots of products as well. So there's lots of information and celebrity. So people feel unhappy about a certain point of their body. Uh, people, are, there, may, there may be a negative comment. So you know, you, you, it is something you, know, you, you, you put on a bit of weight or something like that, and people really entrenches them and they think, right, okay, I'm going to control this. So there's lots of factors. There's nothing really indirectly as, as one contribution. It's, it's a various sort of things that cause it, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, people use it in so many different ways, don't they, as, co as a coping strategy. You know, yeah. and it's, a, it's the kind of thing that I think it's really, I don't know, it's really difficult for the whole family, isn't it? I think, it is. you know, if a young person is, you know, has anorexia, is restricting and, you know, and the family don't know how to deal with it. And it really, really ripples out throughout the whole family system, doesn't it? And in yeah. terms of in terms of social media, I mean, this is something we've talked about a lot, Joe, isn't it, on, on previous shows? I, I guess what you're saying, Alice, the images that, that, that people see are just you know they're ideal images and then mm. normal people just try and you know create bodies that look like these images which are inevitably photoshopped anyway and then yeah. it just drops them into a cycle of you know of not eating and uh and anorexia i mean i, I wanted to moving around a bit but i wanted to ask you a little bit around cbte and and what a journey looks like between diagnosis and and kind of recovery I mean, I, I'm sure it's not a linear thing, I know, but generally, what, what are the steps that people go through in order okay. to... Yeah. yeah, so what we normally do, we normally do an assessment, which is about an hour and a half to two hours, and we use various assessment criteria. So there's a thing called the EDEQ, which is Eating Examination Questionnaire. We also use a thing called the CIA, which is a clinical impairment assessment. So this gives us an indication and helps us try to identify if there's an eating disorder present. Um, and then the program starts with stage one, which is um, intensive therapy. So it's twice weekly for the first stage. And then we go into weekly and, it, you know, depending on the presentation, the complexity of the eating disorder, 
it's normally going to be around between 20 and 30 sessions. Um, also LinkedIn, we, we, we offer family support as well. So normally after about session 10, we'll get the family involved, you know, just to confidentially feedback and obviously just help and you know, give them some strategies. There's also some support groups that we feed the families into so they can support each other through the journey as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then obviously, you know, once that's completed, we do a, a final assessment probably about eight weeks after we completed. But we've also set up some legacy groups as well. So some of the, the first uh, cohort we put through, um, we did some uh, groups whereby, you know, people can, because the thing about eating disorder, you tend to like become quite insular and, 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 and your relationships break down. So it's about, about trying to basically introduce to your friends, to your colleagues, you know, and actually just really simple, basic things like going out to a restaurant and ordering a meal and just, you know, useful strategies around that post-completion. So in terms of the outcomes, we, we've got um, this report that we did, which we, we, we published. There's quite a lot of information. I can send you links for it. And it's got some of our baseline recovery models. So I think normal baseline recovery NHS data is around sort of like 8 to 10 percent because we, we work systemically and, and use some different methods. Our baseline of other people maintaining or recovering was around 53 percent. So the evidence is really there in terms of what we did and how we worked. So. And we're still doing that. And uh, obviously, as things normally happen in terms of NHS and the pressures, funding was withdrawn. So we set up a charity and um, that took forever as well. Really complex trying to set up a charity and all the hoops to jump through. But it took us like two years to do that. We, we formed uh, Rewrite Your Story in uh, 2019. And we're working with um, various funders now. So that's funding, you know, people to come through and there's no cost to them. So if you've got, you know, if, if they meet the assessment criteria, we have suitable funding. I think the programme, if you went, for example, went privately to the Priory, you might pay around sort of like five to ten thousand pounds for the model. It's really expensive, you know, so we try and offer where we can through our charity, you know, funded support for people. And the, the, early, the most important thing about what we try and offer is with any sort of mental health condition, but even more so with eating disorders, is early intervention. Because once it becomes entrenched, it's really, really difficult to, you know, to get people into recovery. So finding this an issue, getting a quick assessment and starting therapy. And from normally assessment to starting therapy, we're about a week. So we're really, really quick in getting people in, getting them seen. What we wanted to do as well with the charity, a lot of people, because we cover quite a big area in the southeast and, and a bit in the southwest, um, is local support. So we work with other organisations and they provide us counselling rooms at low cost so we can see people within a five-mile base. So you haven't got to drive. For example, if you're going to sort of... Uh, some of the other services across you know you might have to drive from like we're, we're down in mid kent but from like east kent it may take you an hour and a half in the car and if you're doing that twice a week it's expensive and it's also a lot of pressure for families as well so we try and make therapy really ideally affordable or free if we can fund it um but also local and effective and, and get people in there really quickly because you know it's, in terms of recovery rates if you get people seen really quickly we can get some really good outcomes for people and get them get them well again or make them better. Eating is always difficult because you you know you may never recover from it. It may be a lifelong condition. It's a way of trying to offer support and just maintain and keep people well as well. And one of the things that we also do is we do our peer support. So if you are struggling, you know we've got people with lived experience that work with us. The most important thing for them is we offer really good clinical supervision for them because if you're dealing with people and you've got your own demons it's making sure that you're well it's like therapists we need their own supervision as well that you're actually safe to work and, and that you're okay with it as well 
I mean, I'm thinking about the 53%. I mean, well, I mean, that is yeah. amazing. I mean, the NHS was... Around, the baseline is quite low, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but it's just working in, in, in a different way, you know, and, yeah. and being realistic about it and offering quick intervention. I think and we, we've, we tended to work with people that were suitable for CBT. It's not suitable for everybody. It tends to be an early intervention um, therapy rather than, you know, for people who are more entrenched as well. So, yeah. Do you want to come in, Joe? Yeah, um, one of the questions, I know it's something we talk about a lot, but I, um, what are your thoughts on things like reality TV shows, especially stuff like Love Island and Too Hot to Handle and stuff, the, um, the bad, uh, I'm trying to think of the word, kind of the body image ideal that they portray? Does that have an impact uh, I, on a lot of I stuff I don't like that? think they're helpful. I know they're really, really well, you know, watched and, and it's a, a big cultural thing. But, um, yeah, if, if you are struggling, that really probably makes things, you know, slightly more difficult. Um, and I just think in terms of that as well, the amount of pressures on people as well, the people in, 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 in these programmes is huge, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. We, we talked about some of the suicides, didn't we, Joe? I mean, yeah, yeah we, we had Caroline Flat, which is really, really sad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, kind of feel like there needs to be more like realistic expectations of bodies. Also, like maybe have people maybe on the larger side on these dating shows rather than yeah. all these like model like people because it's not they're not really realistic having those people on there and thinking oh they're the only people that struggle to find relationships or something like that. Mm. And that's how you need to look to get a relationship because it's not. <laughs> Yeah, there's an awful lot of socially constructed narrative, you know, and that's reinforced yeah. by the media and by also by social media as well. And and it's in your face and you can't switch it off. If you've got your phone, you know, it's constantly there. And that's why I know one of the things we're going to talk about is how I look after my mental health later is uh, just switch switching off. And, and the forest bathing that you did, that, that podcast was brilliant. And I, I tend to do that. I, I'm lucky because I work across Kent, which is really busy, but I also we've got a base down in Dorset and I've got a place really close to the beach. So I just go and walk on the beach. I'll, I'll go and, I'll go and see this swim in the sea. I've got my dogs. So it's just really getting switching off from all the, and I guess you're just trying to, you know, cope with life by, you know, just nubbing things out a little bit and everyone's constantly on the phone. So just, yeah, I think social media, reality TV, and especially for younger people now as well, you know, it's just fueling a huge, you know, sort of pandemic of, of, of eating disorders. It's, it's interesting that with COVID, I know um, if you look at the NHS services, I know they've had an increase around 38% of referrals. So they're really swamped. And a lot of it is because you're stuck at home, you know, your support networks have gone, you can't do the normal things that you do. Um, and it be, becomes, and also, you know, with, with COVID, there's this huge fear of death. People, you know, didn't know what was going to happen. Is it going to kill the whole world? You know, so it's a way of trying to take back control. Um, and, and it's it's really been swamped in the last 18 months. And now we've got the situation with, with the war in Ukraine as well. So, you know, we don't know what's going to pan out with that. But also the anxiety as well for young people. So it's this huge at the moment, very sadly. I mean, can, can people relapse? I mean, you, you talked about trauma, which is really interesting that maybe the trauma is the trigger in the past. But I mean, yeah. can, can people relapse because of what's going on in the world? Because I mean, I think this is true for us all, but, you know, especially for young people, you know, you look at the world now and I'm comparing it to when we were growing up. And the world wasn't perfect then, Alan, but, mm. you know, there, there's climate change and there's a war in Ukraine and there's, co I mean, it's yeah. just, for, I think if you're in, the tw in your 20s and you're looking at a future, I think it's incredibly difficult and I just wonder whether people relapse because of things that happen in the in, in the present yeah it's like it's like any sort of a form of addiction really people you know um 
you know, are using, you know, food to sort of self-medicate or alcohol or drugs, you know, and, and pressures get too much and, and you relapse, yeah, it does happen. You know, it could be, there's lots of triggers really, you know, it's really difficult to say, but yeah, relapse is, is quite common and it's normally based on, on, on pressure and societal pressure and possibly previous trauma as well. And, and, and the spread in terms of gender, because I, I, you know, because often I think, you know, media associates, you know, a, a kind of anorexia, particularly in bulimia, with, with, with females, you know. Mm. But I mean, that is clearly and obviously not the case. I mean, in terms of the people that access the service, I mean, what what, what tends to be the spread of gender? We we tend to work. It tends to be mostly female, but we've seen a lot more, um, um, you know, boys coming through and young men coming through. So it's probably yeah. around. 70 30 and that's actually at one stage it's probably around 80 percent but a lot more people because one of the things we try and do as well is you raise awareness so we go into schools we do assemblies and, and the most important thing is it's like i suppose not really raising awareness of it but looking you know looking at the body confidence program saying so, you know that was probably at a few stages down before you get an eating disorder to so make yourself feel okay about yourself or a percent particularly put your body um but yeah, so just just so there is support available. You know, it's tricky in terms of stat services, but we're around. There's be a really good charity that the UK based do a lot of a lot of stuff that we work with as well. But yeah, and, and it's interesting in terms of celebrity. I know um, there's been a couple of high profile male males that come forward just to talk about about their eating disorder as well, and that's helped for the guys to come and talk about it as well. Yeah. Sorry, Joe, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I was agreeing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I was just going to say, you know, I mean, this, this, this is a complex area. I mean, men are probably like less likely to self-report anyway. Mm. I mean, I was watching the the Freddie Flint, was it Freddie Flint? Yeah, that's the guy, Freddie Flint. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I yeah. mean, celebrities coming forward. This is something else Joe and I have talked, talked a lot about on the show. Celebrities coming forward and talking about their mental health. Health is massive, isn't it? I mean, in mm. terms of normalising, yeah, normalising mental health. Yeah. I wanted to maybe ask about some of the other areas you work in, Alan. Um, we're talking about eating disorders. We can come back to that. But I know you work in other areas as well. Maybe you could just tell us a little bit more about your work in outside yeah, of the so, eating disorder context. So, yeah, so we work, you know, we're a bit like a practice of, of GPs. We've got a lot of specialists and professionals that cover lots of areas. So we do a lot of work with children and young people in schools in terms of just, you know, anxiety, depression, self-harm, as well as eating disorders. Then we do a couple of family work. So we have systemic family therapists that work with us. Um, and then we do obviously psychology. Uh, we do psychiatry as well. One of the things that we, we started, and it's interesting, we started it just before lockdown. So in, in September 2019, we set up a group called Men Too. And that was basically myself and one of my addiction therapists, Marcus, um, just to set up like a, a safe space for guys, you know, to come and talk about mental health. So we, we, we were on the first one in September, we had the local mayor, we worked in a community centre, and we we're running that successfully until lockdown. Um, and we had, you know, it was a, a drop-in, drop-out type group, but it was it works in, in therapeutic communities. So we had like, you know, professional boundaries with it. We had a contract and the agreements. Um, and we had a mix of people from, um, people around 19 so the oldest guy was 62 uh, but it, it worked you know people turned up we had that weekly support one of the things that we did do as well we, we set up and we were really mindful of how we monitored this it was a closed whatsapp group and that was really helpful especially in terms of lockdown because the guys were supporting each other so you know people had checked in how you're getting on today how's things and one of the older guys that we had in the group we, we, during lockdown it was really struggling so the guys were going like dropping off shopping sorting out prescriptions oh. it was like really a load probably 
I think in a WhatsApp group, there's about 75, 80 of us. And, and we're based down in Kent. We're looking at running another group in, in West Country down in Dorset as well. Um, but yeah, the WhatsApp groups are really helpful to people. And we have people in different locations as well. And, and you know, and then with obviously lockdown, we had to go on to Zoom. So we're doing therapeutic groups on Zoom, which is rather challenging. But number of guys that we helped and supported really and we're still running them today we're back into face to face now and uh just having that and uh just in terms of the, the mixture of the people in the group so we have professionals turning up there we had people that were on long-term sick we had retired people and just that that mixture of people from different parts of society really worked you know and I'm really um, passionate about that. And we've, we're at the moment applying for funding to run some more groups. And one of the things that we wanted to do and we found really successful was the peer support model. So some of the guys that started, um, so one of our main leads, um, I, I can't really mention his name, but he's a really good guy and he knows who he is. So if he listens to this. Um, so when he came, he was really struggling and, you know, he's been to the groups and I, I got him involved in more of the groups. And then we did some training with him. We run out a peer support training model. Um, and I think two weeks ago, he ran his first group, you know, on his own. And then what we do, we do the supervision with him as well, a bit like our peer workers, you know. And it means that we can expand our groups by people that want to become involved, you know, but looking after their mental health and giving them supervision to run further groups. So we're going to try, we're going to try, we call it the Men 2 groups. We're going to try and make it a Men 2 movement. Um, and we want to be running more groups across the UK and further afield, really. So that's one of my... One of my passions, I think, at the moment is men's mental health. You know, obviously being a male, but realizing there's a massive issue because guys just don't open up. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> mm. We've done a few episodes on men and mental health, so I definitely agree yeah. with you there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to run <clears throat> to run groups for, for men, I, I mean, I think that's fantastic. You know, I mean, because, I mean, men, men do, I mean, it's a bit of a generalisation, but men do struggle to open up their internalise, don't they? You know, and yeah. sitting, sitting in the group with other men and talking about you know things that are going on in their lives i mean that's a complete antithesis to sitting at home and not talking to anyone isn't it I mean, it's brilliant really yeah. really good and, and the, the the breadth of different kind of people you have in the groups it must make the the, the group so alive it is it is yeah. and we get we get a lot of people going through relationship breakdown or problems with the family you know people are obviously going through court system in terms of battles for children so it's quite one of, one of the interesting things, one of the guys actually comes to the group, he's a social worker, so he's got really good skills. And then we've got another one of the guys, it's interesting with lockdown, because one of our older members was an IT savvy, but one of the other guys works in IT. So he helped set up the phone and we, we, we bought him a Kindle so he could join the online group. So we actually set it up for him. So it's just really, it's just like a, a solution focused blokey group, but it's therapeutic. You know, we have a check in word. We support each other and you know it really helps in terms of the work and some of the other guys following on from that will decide that they probably need to do their own individual therapies it means that they can get targeted support as well so it's really helpful for that i mean if, if somebody's listening to this one of our listeners alan and, and they want to kind of access um support for eating disorders or indeed they want to join a men, men's group how do they go about that so if you look at our website, which is www.therapypartners.co.uk or www.rewriteyourstory.org.uk, Rewrite Your Story is the charity that has funded places in terms of eating disorder support. Therapy Partners cover the whole range of stuff and, and Men Too is part of uh, both Therapy Partners and Rewrite Your Story. So there's information on there. There's, there's a, there's a con connect button you can click on to obviously send an email. You can send information about the groups. We, you can sign up for a newsletter. We do, I think it's, we don't bombard people with lots of information, but we do a quarterly newsletter. 
and we're looking at we, we just engaged some younger people to do some of our social media so we're looking more active on social media in a positive way rather than a negative way so we've just opened up a tiktok channel and we've got facebook and and twitter and linkedin and lots of other things as well i think we do insta as well just to sort of put useful information on there which is safe information and not fake news so we look at some of the things we do is mostly evidence-based and it's actually stuff that is safe to view so there's a lot of information on that and the newsletters there and again we've got a phone number as well so if you want to call us you know um yeah we pick up the phone and give us a shout and we're happy to help support and talk to people that's brilliant uh, <laughs> we're on tiktok as well it's a good platform i'd like we don't post videos really we just post pictures of like promo for the podcast and we get so many views it's like it's, it's quite new for us we really we, i think last week we sat down and went to we, we, we've engaged a couple of young people because they're experts at social media you know i'm not so that, that we had a bit of a focus group we come through and we involve some of our some of our therapists but also some of our service users as well so we're looking at trying to do more stuff on that as well to try and get positive messages out to people you know so you, yeah. you're, not, you're not learned there is help you know support you know and trying to debunk some of the myths around things as well so yeah, I'm looking forward to doing more of that. It's completely out of my comfort zone, but I'm going to try it. So yeah, yeah. For anyone that's listening, what are like some of the warning signs that maybe your child's suffering from an eating disorder or one of your friends is has an eating disorder? I guess just being withdrawn, some realizing there's something quite different you know if you're going out to restaurants if people are not really eating or if, if they're going if they're having a meal and then just they're going to the toilet afterwards or um or if you tend to feed people so if you if you're feeding lots of people but not actually eating yourself there's there's there's, there's a lots and lots of different sort of triggers but there's quite a lot of information on the website if you look on there there's information and support as well so you can look on there and uh, i think we've probably got um there's some facts and figures as well and, and there's a couple there's a video on there as well which is really powerful um which one of us we i actually interviewed uh, um three other young people just talking about eating disorders and uh yeah it's, it's worth watching that it's about 10 minutes but it's, it's quite powerful yeah i mean i'd really recommend i'd really recommend the video i mean it, it is really really powerful i mean i've seen it a couple of times it's a really mm -hmm. really good video young people talking about eating disorders their personal experiences yeah i mean i'm just i'm conscious we're kind of nearing to the end but i just wanted to ask you just a, a little bit uh, alan what, what brought you into the field i mean what brought you into this field um i i basically worked uh, in like you start, I worked for a national newspaper when I was 26. So we set up today as a newspaper and uh, sort of working with journalists. And, and, and then it was no social media, but some of the like the things that were, were put out there and, and, and really negative stuff. And then I set up my own companies and uh, and then my mum was ill. So I looked after her and she, she unfortunately died of dementia. And I thought thinking like, OK, I'm, I'm running businesses. I'm successful. Wasn't really happy. I think in this like. You know, and I think at one stage I had um, had a, in terms of my own mental health, I had a really bad bout of depression. So I really struggled with that. Um, one of these like meaning of life type questions. So what do we do? So I think, well, what can I do to help support people for the rest of my years? You know, what can we do to help support, especially men, especially young people in the fashion industry? What can we do? So I set up my company. Uh, obviously, I retrained before that. I went to Kent and I've obviously trained with Relate. Uh, Tavistock Institute of Family Therapy. So spent, I'm still training now, ongoing in some of this therapy businesses, constant CPD. Um, 
so yeah I just wanted to like make a difference really and um, you know try and change the world as it were to help people that may be struggling and you know and it's great that mental health now is, is more talked about we need to do more of it because there's still a stigma um, especially in certain sectors but yeah I just wanted to you know really just turn around from running businesses and making money and being happy like to having some sort of a legacy and obviously the charity and the business is there and uh, even when I've gone hopefully that'll continue and, and support people moving forward really. Awesome. Do you have any more questions Mark? Well just maybe just to ask you the final question and just in terms of, I guess you touched on this a little bit earlier but just in terms of you know your best tips for, for good mental health. Um, I think is having stuff to look forward to being able to switch off. And one of the things I needed recently was I, I got a separate phone. So when I finish work now, I put the phone on charge and I don't look at it. And that weekends now, Friday night, you know, people know if there's a major incident, yeah, they've got my number as a major concern, you know, you can get me, but I just switch off. You know, I go down to the coast, I walk my dog and it's like, like the forest bathing. We're animals. We need to be outside and we need to be connected, you know, and there's lots of, you know, like, uh, you know, being switched on 24-7 doesn't help. We're not computers. We're not robots. We need to be humans. We need, I think, family as well. And just being kind to people, you know, just thinking, okay, you might have been a shit day, but someone else may have an even worse day. Smile. Just generally, you know, try. The biggest thing is look, stuff to look forward to, being out in nature and, and switching off, you know. I think that really helps. Yeah, I mean, all of those things are brilliant. Yeah, the switching off so difficult today to do today in modern yeah, society, right. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 100%. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, Alan. We'll share your links, and um, we really enjoyed having you on. It's a topic. Oh, brilliant. Really happy to come back at some stage if something oh, changes definitely. or something. Yeah, you're good to 100%. come and talk again, really. Yeah, well, we enjoyed having you on. It was good to finally get around to talking about uh, eating disorders and. Thank you again for Mark for helping co-host. Um, we'll be back tomorrow with another episode, hopefully, about medication. Um, and then we've only got one more episode left. <laughs> and we're also still waiting for our appearance on Ultimate Global Podcast to <laughs> be uploaded. So just keep an eye out for that and we'll post it when it's released. Um, thank you to everyone uh, for listening. No worries. All and right. Take care. Bye. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Okay. Bye. Bye. Nice to see bye. you again, Alan. Thank yeah, you. See you. If you or anyone you know has been affected by the topics discussed in today's episode or previous episodes, please contact your local or country's helpline. You'll find them by going to Google and typing in helpline. Um, they have Samaritan's suicide helpline, but remember that you're not alone, as the title of the podcast says. Um, there are many other people like you that have got mental health issues and feel suicidal and feel alone, but there's always someone there for you to talk to, be it a friend, a family member, a stranger, a psychotherapist or a doctor. There's someone to talk to. I've been in that position before and talking to someone really does help. It's okay to not be okay. And I will see you in the next episode.